Section five of Notes of an East Coast Naturalist by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bird Notes Part five The Cormorant The Cormorant, only a few years ago, was by no means a rare bird in this locality. Even in my recollection, it has become much scarcer than formerly when as an ardent youth i delightedly watched it perched upon the top of a stake on braden resting or preening its feathers old gunners speak of having seen several stakes occupied at a time by quite a party of these birds their quest being the various fishes swimming over the flats that were at that time so little grown up that water usually covered them even at low tide or was absent but for a very short period the grey mullet mugil capito was a favourite prey of the cormorant in sir thomas brown's time the cormorants nested at Reedham, upon trees whence King Charles I was wont to be supplied. In Lubbock's time, it still nested around Fritton Decoy in some years in numbers. In other years, not a nest was to be seen. They appear sometimes to have usurped the heron's nest, but today neither heron nor cormorant are found there the pagets referred to it as common tolerant as the large gulls are of the spoonbill society they seem to draw the line at that of the cormorant one i saw alight on a flat in proximity to some two hundred gulls was bullied and fled from in turn by them with the utmost excitement willing as the bird itself seemed to be to fraternise the gulls eventually left it a live cormorant was brought to me in march nineteen hundred and turned into a wired enclosure when it immediately mounted a heap of stones and made itself at home in two or three days it recognised its fish basket and in a week's time would catch its fish when thrown to it with remarkable accuracy trumpeting its approval in strange harsh notes joey soon learned to distinguish my voice and to judge of my intentions he gave decided preference to whitings whiting heads being even more acceptable than cut-up flounders gurnards were preferred to herrings after having his fill he would hop onto a favourite stone and resume his usual occupation meditating if at one o'clock he was surfeited with some four or five whitings the tail of the last one still protruding from the corner of his bill for want of room at two o'clock he was like oliver twist asking for more and could easily swallow a couple of others digestion was remarkably rapid three to four pounds of fish were devoured daily 
he did not vomit the bones of fish as did my tame shag his mill indeed grinding exceedingly small i never saw him attempt to drink although his plumage was kept clean and well groomed and a dropping of water after meals was always noticeable at his mandible tip he did not protest however against water being thrown over him in may the passing over of a cormorant just within my vision and his greatly disturbed him and he commenced and kept up for days a frequent hop round his establishment from stone to stone and to a stunted tree trunk carrying small faggots in his mandibles as if suggesting to himself the delights of housekeeping seventeen were seen on the nineteenth of may eighteen ninety two on braden how did they feed under ordinary conditions a bird needs all his faculties awake and complete in order to get a respectable living and one so unfortunate as to become maimed or that is naturally malformed must be seriously handicapped in the struggle for existence in december eighteen eighty three i saw a hooded crow whose upper mandible overlapped its lower one curving downward with a more decided bend than that of a crossbills the under mandible being normally shapen and responsible for the work of grubbing in those places where food had to be found when carrion was scant equally odd was a rook whose lower mandible was slightly elongated and peculiarly sharpened in contrast to a singularly short upper member like the preceding bird it was shot in good plight the malformation proving its downfall by attracting the attention of gunners i have twice met with gulls with the upper mandible rounding off to a right angle and passing the lower one namely an adult common gull in november eighteen ninety one and an immature herring gull in december nineteen hundred for a number of days a large gull was observed flying about the vicinity of yarmouth with a long piece of string depending from its mandibles to this most probably was attached a hook that had become fast in its gullet the bird could always be distinguished by this means even when flying amongst a flock of its fellows it was a common sight when gunning was more profitably pursued owing to the greater number of birds frequenting braden to see dunlins or other small wading birds minus one leg hopping about on the remaining member and as adroitly capturing sandhoppers and gammaridae as their unmutilated companions and birds too with parts or pieces of mandibles broken off by gunshots were not infrequently shot showing that in spite of apparently disqualifying conditions 
the unfortunate sufferers had outlived their mishaps and were still game for gaining a livelihood on the fourth of october nineteen o three my attention was attracted by a bird several hundred yards away upon a flat i turned my glasses upon it and was for the moment inclined to imagine it a glossy ibis of which species one had recently been shot the face was black giving the mandibles a singular appearance presently the bird opened its wings and at once i could see by the markings it was a curlew and by the odd way it hopped i could see one leg was hopelessly shattered by a gunshot the discoloration on the face was nothing else but mud that had besmeared it as while probing for its prey the bill was thrust still deeper into the mud by the poor bird's efforts to steady itself the rapidity with which wounded limbs heal is remarkable and it is equally astonishing how fractures and damages to limbs that would entirely incapacitate human beings do not very apparently inconvenience the bird otherwise then in its pursuit of food surely pain must be felt in so highly organized a creature dearly learnt wit birds are slow to change old habits or forsake old haunts nor do they appear to be readily taught to profit by accidents they lack too the faculty of observation although usually very wary and ready to shun apparent dangers starlings are seldom caught napping and after a few repeated onslaughts by a gunner will give him some trouble to get a tolerably good shot at them in the open extreme exhaustion however makes many birds stupidly tame or indifferent when their natural wariness becomes conspicuous by its absence in october eighteen ninety a flock of starlings alighted tired and weary in the rigging of a lightship when one of the hands deftly brought down one by a shot from a pea rifle the birds closed up as the ranks of a regiment might do at the falling of a comrade thus one after the other thirteen were rendered hors de combat the survivors having meanwhile continuously closed up as one and another dropped out suddenly however those remaining became alarmed and flew away the ringed plovers which from time immemorial have placed their nests on the north beach have not profited by the very untoward circumstances of latter years and to this day the remnant of the native race attempts to settle here in the spring as recently as the spring of nineteen o two two pairs of lesser terns sterner minuter took a great fancy to the braden mud-flats and from what i observed of their actions 
they were intent upon taking up nesting quarters on one of the highest flats near the ship drain which is covered to-day only by the higher spring tides they remained there well into june when a higher tide than usual washed them entirely off the flat i saw them afterwards seemingly disconsolately feeding and hovering in the neighbourhood having apparently become convinced that this was the end of the spring housekeeping and that they had made a mess of it my attention was attracted one day in december eighteen ninety by the strange rotary flight of a rook in a most agitated fashion it mounted spirally to some distance i covered it with my glasses and saw presently a crab fall from it into a heap of furs below to the very apparent relief of the bird which shook itself and most gladly made off inland it had undoubtedly pounced down upon the stranded crab thinking to make an easy meal of it but had instead tackled a very lively tartar indeed the crustacean as far as i could see had grasped the rook by the neck in one of its pincer claws a large gull and a heron were seen engaged in a regular combat on braden mudflats the latter who had secured an eel weighing a pound and a half bravely warded off its antagonist which now and then plucked tufts of feathers out of it a gunner drawing up unobserved settled the dispute by shooting both birds he secured the eel as well the gull had a hole large enough for the insertion of a finger in its crop made by a stab of the heron's bill very odd meals tired with the long dreary flight across seas from his norwegian home a jackdaw sought shelter and rest on board a lightship in the october of eighteen eighty two he was secured by one of the crew and having had his wing clipped was allowed the freedom of the deck he soon became a most amusing member of the crew the cook's galley being his favourite resort one day while the men were at prayers jack discovered a big plum duff standing outside the cookhouse door to cool and immediately set to work picking out and devouring every raisin that could be seen sticking around it the men apparently enjoyed the joke as much as the bird did the raisins odd only perhaps from its disproportionate size a full-grown grey plover was found entire in the crop of a glaucous gull shot in this locality it was perhaps a wounded bird picked up on the seashore or more probably a bird found floating dead on the sea such dead migrants often make a welcome meal to passing gulls mention is made in the zoologist of a common gull shot on the air from whose mouth depended five tallow candles 
the six having been almost entirely swallowed the candles were of that sort used on board the fishing luggers some years ago about ten inches in length with cotton wicks it was suggested that the bird had snatched up the candles from the deck of a vessel but the probability is that they had been accidentally dropped overboard and there discovered by the hungry creature this and other gulls are by no means dainty as to their diet being indeed omnivorous and apparently perfectly indifferent as to taste i have seen the common gull in big squabbling flocks hanging around the sewer gratings at dublin pulling out refuse of the vilest description fighting indeed for it night lights candle ends drowned mice rats kittens and a hundred other forms of refuse floating up from the filthy waterside of a town are all alike acceptable to the various species which congregate at the entrance of Braden. in the matter of eating few birds trouble about the odd ingredients making their meals so long as a sufficiency is forthcoming in june eighteen ninety one when rowing up the bure i was struck by the antics of a couple of starlings that were busily scrambling and fluttering up and down some boarded pilings against which worries more to discharge cargoes of marl gravel and flints by carefully getting into close proximity to the industrious birds i could see that they were having a right royal time amongst the variously sized sea slaters lygia oceanica that were sunning themselves on the warm dry timbers equally fond of armadillos armadillidium vulgari locally known as sows and their kindred it used to be a frequent thing to see the starling grubbing about at the foot of gravestones in the old churchyard pulling the grass away indeed in order to get at them i noticed this when a mere lad as i myself always found these spots afforded very comfortable shelter from the sun and weather for snails and other vermin loved of my birds the house martin of late years from two obvious reasons that delightful little bird the house martin has become exceedingly scarce within the town precincts time was when its constant flitting to and fro was one of the common sights in our hot dusty streets its merry chatter as it flew overhead in fine weather or kept low in rain time its white rump conspicuously showing calling attention to its passing its nests were known in several locations particularly at a corner house now demolished and replaced by a restaurant adjoining the catholic church also at the bank in the market-place and under the eaves of a tall house on caister road at this latter place to this day one or two pairs still determinedly nest 
and there were a number of other houses to be found dotted with an odd nest or two in the early mornings in my boyish days i used to watch the house martins at the mud puddles in the middle of the caister road pecking at the softened soil and kneading and preparing the material for their nests but bad times came along the sparrows increasing beyond reasonable bounds became more impudent if it were possible in like proportion and among other appropriation usurped many a little martin's nest waiting usually until the domicile was well towards completion and then driving out the builders immediately the thieves set about dragging in what to them seemed the necessary furniture hay bits of straw extra feathers and the like an eviction is usually published by a slovenly outhanging of fluttering pendant rubbish how the new and unexpected tenants find room as the young sparrows grow is a mystery certain it is that the unprepared-for weight occasionally brings down the whole structure and the sparrow's housekeeping comes to an abrupt termination it is not difficult to distinguish a sparrow that has nested in a stolen home for it has a stumpy tail due of course to abrasion against the hard cabin walls the innovation too of watering the town roads with salt water has added a new menace in the shape of spoiling the martin's mortar in the first place the mud is salt which must be noticed by the sense of taste although it has not deterred the martins from trying it again it is very susceptible to changes in the temperature and while it may remain hard and compact during hot dry weather its consistency and strength are so impaired by a continuation of moisture that it becomes easily detached from the supporting wall and down comes babies and cradle and all consequently there has seemed a very apparent rush to the country at least so it appeared to me and i have wandered some miles around looking for nests and not in vain martins are fortunately still fairly common in the villages in taking a ramble in eighteen ninety to morby i came across a couple of cottages in the gardens of which the martins flitted about like so many bees around a hive under the eaves of one house no less than twelve nests were attached and the other had a similar number a certain corner of the first house had been chosen and the nests were literally built in flats three nests were erected under the eaves at one end and in the angles below them two others were affixed the place around was sunny and sheltered and just the locality for harbouring insect life the martins seemed to know and appreciate this as did the inhabitants of the cottages who were justly proud of the colony of birds 
and righteously protected them at one time i took in hand to count the number of nests in yarmouth in the heyday of their abundance and among other facts i ascertained that although the birds apparently choose sites facing east and north opposite points of the compass exhibited almost an equal number of nests very hungry birds the winter of eighteen ninety ninety one set in early most severe weather obtaining as early as the twenty sixth of november when a heavy snowstorm ushered in a considerable spell of it snow buntings abounded on the deans redwings on the twenty eighth were busily hunting for berries on the snow-covered hawthorns the blackbirds and thrushes hard up for provender visited backyards in the town itself sparrows burrowed into the stacks starlings gleaned by the margin of the river on the same date i saw numerous sanderlings on the beach birds that only visit us in any numbers in severe weather a great many ducks were in the roadstead larks busy amongst the cabbages in town gardens were reducing the leaves to a bare skeleton work of ribs i saw a hooded crow chasing a dunlin on braden losing them both in the distance another was seen to single out a dunlin from a flock chase it down and in a very few minutes had dismembered and eaten it gulls were seen to hunt down wounded dunlins it is notorious that when the hooded crow is hungry enough to follow the sportsman he does not interfere with the dead birds but invariably pursues the wounded a wily bird catcher the following entry is copied verbatim from an entry dated the twenty seventh of december eighteen ninety a wild day this morning was exceedingly wintry wind east nor east the waste land now being converted into a new recreation ground now building on and which has been well sprinkled with town refuse was swarmed by some five hundred black-headed gulls they were not only sharp-set but had found something in the shape of putrid herrings that might be seen sticking out of the snow in a very tempting fashion no sooner were they disturbed and driven away from one spot than they settled on another a number of starlings sharing the spoil with the gulls were constantly harassed by small boys with stones and steel falls and older boys with guns not far off here under the lee of the mill a wily bird-catcher nicknamed duchess cubet had spread a pair of clap-nets made of herring lint each twelve yards in length by four in width the ground had been brushed clear of snow and baited with herring refuse his quest was gulls he captured more than a hundred poor things all of which 
save fifteen that i procured from him alive were killed for the paltry fourpence each he got for them from a skin dealer who sent them away for millinery work the continuance of severe weather so hungered and tamed the poor creatures that they swarmed the river opposite the town hall picking up food thrown into the water they even flew up and down the marine parade snatching up broken biscuits flung out to them by interested spectators of course many fell victims to the sporting tactics of cruel boys on the twenty ninth some were being trapped in steel falls a wash-tub and even a fish-trunk were seen in use standing on edge supported by a stick which could be pulled away by a long string many were taken by these rough downfall contrivances some were even taken on the south deans by lifting in a similar fashion the nets spread there on the seventeenth of february nineteen o two one man captured forty-six black-headed gulls and two common gulls this same man cubitt by name is a remarkably keen-witted fellow in the detecting of rare incessories and in their capture very fortunate his largest catch of common linnets in one day was two hundred and seven miles and an almost equal number of females the latter he released as useless in the lapland year eighteen ninety two he secured in all no less than five dozen lapland buntings calcareus laponicus of larks he captured nearly one hundred dozen one year and as many as forty dozen in one week a common snipe passing over his nets in company with several starlings was pulled at and secured one other interesting fellow is wire quinton a gaunt robinson crusoe sort of a man who amongst other occupations tax on that of bird-catching during the rush of bramblings in eighteen ninety five he captured thirty at one pull of the net during an invasion of siskins in december nineteen o one he observed a number of these birds on an old lettuce bed borrowing a decoy bird he laid his nets early next morning and by breakfast time had netted ninety and by eleven o'clock no less than one hundred and forty that rare or interesting bird which catches quinton's eye almost surely sooner or later is inveigled into his nets be it blackcap flycatcher shorelark or sarin finch End of section five.